One Week Season. NFL Edge Audio. Falcons at Ravens. Kickoff Sunday, December 24th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 37 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. Some big names missed practice for the Ravens on Tuesday, none bigger than quarterback Lamar Jackson. L. Jax has been out since injuring his knee on December 4th, with head coach John Harbaugh taking a tight-lipped approach to his expected status for Saturday. Ravens wide receiver Devin DuVernay suffered a foot injury in practice on Tuesday and was swiftly placed on injured reserve, meaning he will miss at least the next four games. Baltimore promptly signed Sammy Watkins, who was released by the Packers last week, and is familiar with the coaching staff stemming from his time in Baltimore last season. Defensive stalwarts Calais Campbell and Marcus Peters also missed practice on Tuesday. Running back Caleb Huntley was placed on injured reserve by the Falcons after injuring his Achilles tendon in the team's Week 15 loss to the Saints. Both teams ranked bottom 9 in first-half pace of play, bottom 6 in overall pace of play, and bottom 10 in situation-neutral pace of play. How Atlanta will try to win Falcons rookie quarterback Desmond Ritter was asked to throw the football only 26 times in a game the Falcons fell behind by two scores halfway through the first quarter last week. Furthermore, Atlanta is one of only four teams to be at or below league average in pass rate over expectation in every game so far this season, joined by Tennessee, Dallas, and Chicago. As such, it remains fairly clear how to expect the Falcons to try and win games. Slow pace of play and extreme rush rates. If you caught the Slate podcast for Inner Circle members last week, we covered the fact that Ritter possesses above-average pocket presence for a rookie quarterback whose mobility is more closely tied to escapability rather than pure rushing upside, as would be the case for someone like Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, or Jalen Hurts. Think more Patrick Mahomesian rather than Justin Fieldsian. Furthermore, Ritter lacks top-end arm strength, which was exhibited through his passing spray chart from Week 15. 18 of 26 passes targeted a pass catcher within 11 yards of the line of scrimmage, and only two attempts were 20-plus yards downfield. He also did not have a completion of more than 11 intended air yards. The Falcons have operated with a true backfield committee between Corderell Patterson and Tyler Algier over the previous six weeks, since Patterson returned from injured reserve. The season-ending injury to running back Caleb Huntley shouldn't influence the backfield dynamics considering he was only seeing a handful of offensive snaps in Week 10, nine or less in each of the previous five games, meaning we should have a good idea of the expected allocation of work. Patterson has averaged 14 running back opportunities to 11.75 for Algier over the previous month of play, with the two combining for only 12 targets during that four-game stretch. The matchup on the ground yields an above-average 4.505 net-adjusted line yards metric against a Baltimore defense holding opposing backs to just 3.85 yards per carry this season, fourth best in the league. The pass offense is very much Drake London or bust. His targets per route run rate jumped to 31.5%, good for fourth in the league, and his target market share jumped to 29.3%, seventh in the league, after commanding 11 targets on 26 Ritter pass attempts last week. Not to mention his absolutely insane 37.5% red zone target share this year. Expect Olamide Zacchaeus to operate in a near every down roll, while Damier Bird and Cotterell Hodge split the remaining snaps at wide receiver and Parker Hesse, Michael Pruitt, and Anthony Ferkser share the 30-40% tight end snap rate, 30-40% 12 personnel with no tight end playing more than 50-60% to of the offensive snaps. Yeah, it gets ugly real fast for pass catchers not named Drake London here. The path of least resistance is very clearly through the air for the Falcons this week, 
We have to doubt both their willingness to allow their rookie quarterback to open it up in his second NFL start and the coaching staff's willingness to move away from the run. How Baltimore will try to win. Quarterback Lamar Jackson has been out the previous two weeks after injuring his knee in Week 14 against the Steelers. The Ravens have since fallen out of the division lead in the AFC North, currently one game behind the Bengals. That said, the Ravens beat the Bengals earlier in the year, and the two teams play in the final week of the season, meaning that the Ravens simply need to keep pace with Cincinnati over the coming two weeks to force a winner-takes-the-division scenario in Week 18. The Ravens have been understandably more conservative from a play-calling perspective in the absence of Lamar Jackson, finishing the two Tyler Huntley starts with their second and third lowest pass rate over expectation values on the season, a trend that is likely to continue into Week 16, regardless of whether or not Jackson returns, after wide receiver Devin DuVernay injured his foot in practice on Tuesday, which landed him on injured reserve. That leaves Baltimore's wide receiver depth chart with Demarcus Robinson, Deshaun Jackson, and James Prochet as the projected starters, with only the newly signed Sammy Watkins, who played 2021 in Baltimore and was released by the Packers last week, the only other healthy body at the position currently on the roster. Considering the age of Deshaun Jackson, the recent signing of Watkins, relative skill gap of James Prochet, and recent trends over the previous two weeks, I tentatively expect a solid bump to rookie tight end Isaiah Likely's snap and route participation rates here. The Ravens have run a massive 90.25% 12 personnel rate over the previous two weeks, with Andrews operating in a near-every-down role, and Josh Oliver and Isaiah Likely splitting the secondary tight end role based on play design. Passing down specialist and emergency early-down change of pace back Kenyon Drake was inactive in Week 15 after being active for nine straight weeks starting in Week 5. Justice Hill operated in the clear passing down role for the Ravens last week in his stead, likely getting the nod due to his special team's involvement. That said, this backfield continues to operate in a three-way timeshare for running back opportunities, in addition to the moderate to heavy snap rate from fullback Patrick Richard. Expect J.K. Dobbins, who has gone over 120 rushing yards in each of his two games since returning from injured reserve, to operate as the lead rudder, with Gus Edwards, the clear change of pace back and short yardage specialist, Justice Hill or Kenyon Drake, the clear passing down specialist, and Patrick Richard in a true fullback role. As such, we shouldn't project more than 14 to 16 running back opportunities for Dobbins in anything other than a true positive game script from start to finish, which is one of the likelier scenarios in this spot. The pure rushing matchup yields a robust 4.65 net adjusted line yards metric, against the Falcons' defense seeding 24.3 DK points per game to opposing backfields. After starting the season with double-digit targets in four of his first six games, Mark Andrews has gone seven consecutive games without more than eight targets. His 23.6% team target market share over the previous five games, two with Jackson, two with Huntley, and one with Huntley and Anthony Brown at quarterback, has brought down his season-long average to 28%, still tops in the league at the position, but down from his torrid pace to start the season but this is still a tight end in a route at a 91% clip, meaning the stretch of poor box scores can likely be chalked up to variance in game environment. All said, the Ravens have averaged 29.6 pass attempts per game over the previous five weeks, all while operating at a below-average pass rate over expectation in all five of those games. As in, the team has averaged 67.6 offensive snaps per game over their last five contests due to a net drive success rate ranking 8th in the league. Basically, likely a scenario places the range of outcomes for the team somewhere in the vicinity of 28 to 32 pass attempts and 32 to 36 rush attempts against the Falcons. Expect Demarcus Robinson to see the highest snap rate amongst wide receivers, likely in the 75 to 85% range with Deshaun Jackson, James Prochet, and Sammy Watkins mixing in for the remaining 140% or so between the three.
likeliest game flow. Considering the recent tendencies exhibited by each team compared to the paths of least resistance of each offense, it is likeliest we see each team lean extremely run-heavy and the Ravens to find more consistent success in doing so. Baltimore ranks second in run DVOA, while Atlanta ranks 26th in DVOA against the run. Atlanta ranks 4th in run DVOA, while Baltimore ranks 7th in DVOA against the run. That is likeliest to work out to Baltimore controlling the overall game flow while the two teams combine for a muted game environment and slow pace of play. That should lead to lower than league average total number of offensive plays run from scrimmage and the potential for less possessions from each team here, making GPP worthy upside from either side difficult to envision. And that's not even considering the fact that Lamar Jackson might miss his third consecutive contest, which would ding the expected game environment even further. Overall, not a ton to love from this one as far as the potential for upside goes, possibly three potential outliers to that discussion, which should be considered fringe plays on the expected lower scoring slate and will be covered in the DFS interpretation. Lions at Panthers. Kickoff Sunday, December 24th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 44. Game Overview by Hilo. Lions center Frank Ragnow missed practice on Tuesday with a foot injury after a week of limited showings leading to a questionable tag last week. There are two divisions that could provide a playoff team with a losing record, the AFC South, with Tennessee currently leading the division at 7-7, but down the current tiebreaker to Jacksonville, who are one game back, and the NFC South, with Carolina one game behind Tampa Bay at 6-8, with the current head-to-head tiebreaker in hand. The Lions have played their way into playoff contention in the NFC by ripping off six wins in their last seven games, currently just a half game behind the Commanders, for the seventh and final playoff spot. The Panthers own the league's slowest first-half pace of play. The Panthers run the fewest offensive plays per game this year at just 56.6, while the Lions are averaging 70.4 per game over their last five. Since they transitioned their offense to a more aggressive unit during this run of desperation, that difference is the equivalent of about two and a half possessions in today's game. How Detroit will try to win. The Lions have fundamentally altered the way they are trying to win games over the previous month of play, with quarterback Jared Goff averaging 38.75 pass attempts per game over that span, compared to a season average of 34.5. The big difference in this team is that they are now operating from a sense of urgency and desperation, not waiting for the opponent to push them to be more aggressive through the air, and instead pushing the tempo and aggression from the start, putting teams away in the process and attempting to leave nothing to chance. Another clear shift in the identity of this offense has been a move to a three-headed backfield, including DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, and Justin Jackson, which has remained steady ever since Swift returned from three missed games in Week 8. Detroit continues to operate from 11 personnel as their base personnel alignment, but have moved to a three-way timeshare at tight end after the mid-season departure of TJ Hawkinson. The addition of rookie wide receiver Jamison Williams, combined with the emergence of Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond, has meant that all three have filtered through the wide receiver three role behind Amon Ross St. Brown and DJ Chark. Basically, expect St. Brown and Chark to operate as the only near-every-down skill position players moving forward until, or unless, further injuries re-emerge. As mentioned above, the shift to a three-headed backfield has kept the workloads in check for Swift and Williams, with just one instance of 20 or more running back opportunities between the two over the previous five weeks. The likeliest scenario lands Williams in the 16-18 running back opportunity range and Swift in the 15-17 range with a clear slight boost to the expected receiving work for DeAndre Swift against the Panthers' defense that runs zone coverage at a top three rate this season. For further context, 76% of Swift's targets this season have come against zone, whilst the Lions have faced the third highest rate of man coverage on offense this year. 
Furthermore, the three games with the highest target totals for Swift have come against the Jets, Bills, and Jaguars, three teams that run zone at elevated rates, are top eight in adjusted line yards against the run on defense, and force teams primarily to the short to intermediate areas of the field, like the Panthers do. The pure rushing matchup yields a slightly above average 4.445 net adjusted line yards metric against the Carolina defense seeding 23.9 DK points per game to opposing backfields. Amon Ross St. Brown has seen eight or more targets in every game in which he has played more than 80% of the offensive snaps, dating back to week 12 of the 2021 season. That is absurd consistency. That said, his laughably low 6.0 average depth of target and modest 23.8% air yard share has meant he required both efficiency and touchdowns in order to return a GPP viable score. Considering his now elevated salary, he has returned a 4x salary multiplier on his week 16 salary just twice in 15 games this season. DJ Chark has a weekly range of targets in the 5-7 realm. With zero double-digit target games this year while playing alongside target hog St. Brown, the transition to an offense utilizing three wide receivers to fill the wide receiver three spot, a three-back rotation, and a three-tight end rotation has left volume difficult to predict on a weekly basis behind those top two pass catchers, with the caveat that this particular matchup favors a slight boost to the target expectation of DeAndre Swift. How Carolina will try to win. The Panthers have gone 10 weeks in a row with a below-average pass rate over expectation value and have asked Sam Darnold, the third quarterback they have used as the starter this season, to throw only 23.5 times per game over the last two weeks, 23 and 24 pass attempts against the Steelers and Seahawks. What will be most interesting from the Panthers this week is whether or not they continue that conservative approach against an opponent that has allowed less than 85 rush yards per game over the previous 11 games a laughably low 55.7 rush yards allowed per game over the previous three weeks. For comparison, that would put the Lions at third and fewest rush yards given up per game behind only the 49ers and Titans if we remove their first month of play. The Panthers have largely been able to remain conservative this season due to a defense that ranks top 13 in drive success rate, yards per drive, and points per drive. That said, their defense ranks just 20th in overall DVOA and 21st against both the run and the pass, with the loftier defensive drive statistics likely more indicative of one of the weaker strength of schedules in the league this year. Expect the Panthers to start slow, 32nd ranked first half pace of play, with elevated rush rates. Only the desperation factor is likely to change their second half outlook. Finally, the Panthers have played primarily from 11 personnel of late, mixing in about 30% of their offensive snaps from 12 personnel and virtually no 21 personnel. The backfield has developed into a true timeshare between Donta Foreman and Chuba Hubbard, with the former utilized as the lead rusher and early down back, and the latter utilized primarily as the change of pace, obvious passing down, and two-minute offense back. As touched on above, we should expect the Panthers to try and slow this game down, with a slow pace of play and elevated rush rates for as long as they are able to, which likely equates to Foreman leading the charge early, with an ultimate snap rate and opportunity count heavily tied to eventual game flow. The matchup on the ground yields a slightly above average 4.465 net adjusted line yards metric, with the caveat that the Lions have been one of the better run defenses in the league since week 5. DJ Moore and Terrace Marshall operate as the only near-every-down pass catchers in this offense of late, with Shai Smith and LaVisca Chenault splitting the remaining snaps at wide receiver, and tight ends Ian Thomas, Tommy Tremble, and Steven Sullivan all splitting snaps. Furthermore, Moore has not seen more than six targets in his last five games. Marshall has just three games all season over a modest four targets, six, six, and nine, and the combination of tight ends have exactly one game with more than four targets amongst them this season. 
As in, even though the matchup clearly funnels expected production through the air, team tendencies and quarterback situations sap away most of the available upside induced by the matchup here. Finally, overall expected volume is low for the Panthers, considering they average the fewest offensive plays run from scrimmage this season at just 56.6. Likeliest Game Flow It is likeliest we see the Panthers start slow, which is likeliest to lead to one of two scenarios developing. One, the Lions grab control of the game environment early, forcing desperation mode from the Panthers in the second half. Or, two, both teams struggle to get much offense going early, which allows the Panthers to continue running their backs into a brick wall. Neither of those two scenarios carries exorbitant upside for any singular entity, let alone either team or the game environment, meaning there shouldn't be a ton of fantasy interest here. Really, it's that simple. Not much additional analysis needed. Bills at Bears. Kickoff Saturday, December 24th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 40. Game Overview by Hilo. Another weather game this week. With slightly better conditions than are being reported in Cleveland, Expect the potential for 20 to 25 mile per hour winds and gusts around 35 miles per hour. Again, I will update this on Friday evening and Saturday morning. There are some interesting possibilities regarding the Chicago defense that I don't see being talked about around the industry. Currently just conjecture, but conjecture that is backed up statistically and via other predictive methodologies. The matchup against the Bears is one of the top on-paper matchups in the league. It's simply a matter of where we can expect the volume to flow for the Bills, considering the expected weather and recent trends from the Bears. Last week, with the discussion on Jalen Hurts and the Eagles against the Bears, Justin Fields is capable of keeping the Bears within striking distance, all by his lonesome, meaning we have the opportunity to stack up one of the top offenses in the league without having to worry about correlated bringbacks, even with the weather expected to be suboptimal. The Bears' pass-catching core got even more distressed this week as Equinemius St. Brown picked up a concussion and is yet to practice this week, and newcomer Chase Claypool was a Wednesday downgrade from limited to non-participant after a missed contest in Week 15. How Buffalo Will Try to Win The biggest nugget I pulled from the entire week of research involved the Chicago defense and the looks they showed the Eagles last week. In an interview on Tuesday, Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni, who is one of the most dynamic play callers in the league, stated that the reason the Eagles threw the ball so heavily against the Bears, and the reason why Miles Sanders was utilized so sparsely, was that the Bears overloaded the box and left their corners in man coverage for the majority of the game, basically daring the Eagles to beat them through the air. As in, not only are the Bears growing their offensive identity, but they are also messing around with what works on defense in a lost year. Important information for both the Bears and their weekly opponents, more so for their opponents, to be completely honest. All of that to say, the biggest strength of this Bills offense is its adaptability and multifaceted approach on offense, capable of both designing and executing against what an opposition is showing them. The biggest on-paper and on-tape strength of this Bills offense is the passing game, which leads me to believe that we might just see increased rates of zone coverage and a slight bump to blitz rates against the Bills this week. The Bears have blitzed at the 8th lowest rate in the league this season, but Josh Allen has struggled when under pressure. The Bears have already shown a willingness to change their man-zone coverage rates based on the opponent, with man coverage rates ranging all the way from 8.3% in Week 11 against the Falcons to 54.3% in Week 3 against the Texans. That's an important thought experiment this week because of the implications for fantasy expectations from a normally spread-out offense. If what I implied above comes to fruition, I think we will see a bit heavier reliance on the run game from the Bills this week. While that doesn't mean what it would mean for other teams around the league, it could provide an appreciable collective increase to the workload of the backfield. 
The biggest problem for fantasy expectations is that the Bills have mixed and matched their running back utilizations over the previous month of play, ranging from a true three-headed timeshare to a 1A-1B situation. After experimenting with 21 personnel alignments in the red zone for two consecutive weeks, the Bills relinquished newcomer Naeem Hines back to a special teams ace, feeding him only three offensive snaps in total. That saw lead back Devin Singletary regain a larger share of the backfield snaps and utilization, clawing his way back up to a 60% snap rate and 17 running back opportunities. Furthermore, after starting the season with nine consecutive games of a pass rate over expectation above league average, the Bills have been hovering right around league average over the previous five games, further indication that we might see a heavier reliance on the run here. 18-20 to 20 running back opportunities for Devin Singletary in one of the top on-paper matchups in the league is a viable outcome here, particularly when you consider the potential for Wynn to be a factor. Based on recent trends, I tentatively expect James Cook to serve in a traditional change of pace role, capable as both a runner and through the air. That is likeliest to lead to 10 to 12 running back opportunities. The pure rushing matchup yields a slightly above average 4.405 net adjusted line yards metric against the Chicago defense, allowing 4.73 yards per carry to opposing backfields. The other area that the recent trends from Chicago's defense are likely to influence is the Bills' passing game which consists of primary deep threat Gabe Davis, the prototypical ex-wide receiver Stephon Diggs, and all-around tight end Dawson Knox, and multiple situational role players Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley, John Brown, Naeem Hines, and Quinton Morris. Based on our discussion above with the expectation that the Bears run heavier rates of zone coverage but also increase their blitz rate, it is reasonable to expect a slight uptick in the schemed involvement of Isaiah McKenzie who is the Bills' top situational piece against both the blitz and heavy zone coverages, although it's likely a significant boost to the expectation from Stefan Diggs as well. Furthermore, there is legitimate potential for Fields to keep the Bears within striking distance for the duration of the game, similar to our discussion on Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia pass catchers last week. If you missed that one, we discussed it in-depth on the Slate podcast available to Inner Circle members. Sign up at the discounted rate for the remainder of the season. Basically, Stephon Diggs, Isaiah McKenzie, and even Devin Singletary and James Cook see an appreciable theoretical boost under the assumptions we've arrived at via the expected alignments from the Bears. How Chicago will try to win. Find what works for the future and what can be improved upon through free agency and the draft. That is where the Bears currently find themselves. As such, we can expect some unique looks on both sides of the ball. Think of their season as an extended preseason, where the entire organization is tinkering with things with their sights set on the future. We went in-depth into that discussion regarding their defense earlier and have spent a significant amount of time on that discussion as it pertains to their offense over the previous six weeks, so we won't get into more of it here. Suffice it to say, this Bears franchise has been fun to watch as they transform their identity and roster. Primary change of pace back Khalil Herbert was designated to return from injured reserve on Tuesday, signaling his return from a four-game minimum stay on the list. Since he served the minimum time on injured reserve, and since he was activated when first eligible on Tuesday, it's safe to assume he resumes his role as the change of pace back, capable in both the run game and through the air. The ultimate snap rate and distribution of opportunities in Chicago's backfield are likeliest to land in the 70-30-65-35 range, split between lead back David Montgomery and change of pace back Khalil Herbert, leaving Darrington Evans and Treston Ebner of little fantasy utility. Furthermore, quarterback Justin Fields has handled 13 or more rushes in four of his last five healthy games, scoring seven rushing touchdowns in his last seven games and bursting for a long gain of 39 yards or more on the ground in four of his last five. 
the dude is a problem for this league. Overall, expect the Bears to continue to show a high-volume rushing rate, considering they are one of only three teams to be at or below league average in pass rate over expectation in every game played this season. The pure rushing matchup yields a well below average 4.235 net adjusted line yards metric, which should be thought of as more pertinent to the rushing expectations of Montgomery and Herbert than it is for Fields. With Darnell Mooney on injured reserve, Equinemius St. Brown likely out with a concussion on a short week, and Chase Claypool a midweek downgrade from limited to DNP, we could see a Chicago pass-catching core consisting of Cole Komet, Dante Pettis, Byron Pringle, Ellis Jones, and Ankeel Harry. Woof city. Population, Justin Fields. I tentatively expect Pettis, Pringle, and Komet to operate in near-every-down roles, while Jones and Harry are utilized in situational roles. But man, don't feel like you have to go here to correlate your Bills stacks this week. Lord Almighty, this is poor. Jordan Poyer continues to struggle through various injuries this season, but the remainder of the Buffalo defense is returning to health in time for the playoff push, meaning we shouldn't expect much from this passing attack this week, considering the talent gap and expected weather. Likeliest game flow. It's the Bills against the Bears. I could legit stop there in the exploration of the likeliest game flow, but that ain't us now, is it? We should expect the Bills to achieve some level of offensive success against a highly experimental Bears team in their current state, one that is using the final half of the season to figure out ways to optimally employ the pieces they have next season and how to optimally build around those pieces moving forward. That said, the presence of Justin Fields means the Bears can theoretically keep this game within reach deep into the game, which boosts the expected game environment significantly. Furthering that premise is the idea of desperation that we have talked about over the previous two weeks. The Bills are not desperate to make a playoff push, but they are desperate to maintain their spot atop the AFC, and the Chiefs are sure to make life difficult in that task. Furthermore, Josh Allen and the Bills are hyper-perfectionists, taking every possession as a tune-up to improve their game as we head into the playoffs. All three of those come together to provide a game environment ripe with upside, with the biggest detractor likely to be the eventual state of Mother Nature. The greater the wins, the more likely it is we see the top secondary contributors involved more, which for our purposes in ease of discussion are squarely Isaiah McKenzie, Devin Singletary, James Cook, and a slight bump to the expectation of the possession-style role of Stefan Diggs. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Saints at Browns. Kickoff Sunday, December 24th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 32 and a half. Game Overview by Hilo. One of the two games this week with weather likely to be a factor. We'll have to wait until the day before the game to get an accurate aviation weather update, but current forecasts include snow and sustained winds in the 25 to 30 mile per hour range with wind gusts upwards of 40. Yeah, that level of wind is concerning. The Saints rank 22nd in adjusted line yards, 23rd in DVOA against the run, and allow 4.62 yards per carry this season, while the Browns rank 31st in adjusted line yards, 30th in DVOA against the run, and allow 5.42 yards per carry this season. Considering the expected weather and the relative weakness of each of these defenses, I think it's safe to expect a ground-based offensive game plan from each side here. On the other side of that coin, it is likely that each team will be able to dedicate an additional body or two in the box until or unless the opposing pass offense is able to generate chunk yardage through unique looks. Saints rookie wide receiver Chris Olave was listed as a non-participant on Tuesday's estimated injury report. The team only ran a walkthrough. 
Cleveland rookie wide receiver David Bell returned to a limited participant in Tuesday's practice. Both Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett missed practice on Tuesday for the Browns, Clowney with a concussion sustained in Week 15, and Garrett with an illness. Amari Cooper and Nick Chubb both missed practice Tuesday, but both instances appear to be maintenance-related. Update, Chris Olave remained out for the second consecutive day on Wednesday while Jarvis Landry was added to the injury report as a non-participant with an ankle injury. Nick Chubb and Amari Cooper also remained out, as did Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett. How New Orleans will try to win The Saints have been at or below league average and pass rate over expectation in all but two games this season. A Week 11 positive game script win against the Rams and a Week 12 shutout at the hands of the 49ers, where San Francisco only managed 13 points themselves. Furthermore, Andy Dalton has not attempted more than 30 passes since Week 7, averaging 26.4 pass attempts per game over the previous seven games. Further, furthermore, the Saints have averaged just 55.7 offensive snaps per game during that time, about 8 offensive snaps per game lower than the league average this season. That equates to anywhere from 1 to 2 possessions of missing offensive plays over the sample size of almost 2 months worth of games. That is a statistically significant sample size. Now consider the expected weather and the uncertainty of their top pass catcher in Chris Olave, and I think it's pretty clear how the Saints are likeliest to attack this game. Slow pace of play and heavy bias toward the ground, most probably with increased Taysom Hill involvement as a way to generate unique looks in a game the weather is likely to take away much of the dynamism through the air. Eno Benjamin was added to the practice squad after he was released from his second team this season, Arizona and Houston, while David Johnson was called up from the practice squad for the second time last week. Even with Mark Ingram on injured reserve, the team kept lead back Alvin Kamara to a modest for him 62% snap rate after holding him to 59% of the offensive snaps in Week 13. Even so, Kamara saw more than 20 carries for only the second time last week, turning 21 carries into 91 scoreless yards and catching both targets for an additional 13 yards. We know the drill by now with the Cleveland defense. They give up a massive yards per carry value and are towards the bottom of the league in explosive runs against this season. The biggest issue for projecting this backfield isn't the path of least resistance, the weather, or the lack of depth. It's quite simply the seemingly bipolar coaching staff that will nuke Kamara's utilization out of nowhere. Look no further than the Mark Ingram with an injury play from Week 13 against the Buccaneers, with the team electing to throw a pass to an injured Ingram instead of Kamara, the former of whom promptly ran out of bounds short of the first down marker late in the game and ultimately cost the team a win. The pure rushing matchup yields a borderline elite 4.73 net adjusted line yards metric against a Cleveland defense allowing a robust 5.42 yards per carry to opposing backfields this season. We know the Saints don't operate from standard NFL alignments, instead utilizing quarterback, tight end, fullback hybrid, Taysom Hill all over the formation and rotating through wide receivers like a vagrant changes locales. Consider this. Only punt return specialist turned wide receiver Rashid Shahid some more than 49% of the offensive snaps last week, and that includes up-and-coming wide receiver one Chris Olave. Whether that dip in snap rate from Olave was due to a hamstring injury that he apparently picked up during the game remains unknown, though it's likely in my opinion, but the fact of the matter is this team has rotated wide receivers all season. With the expected wind and sprawling rotation at wide receiver, short area specialists Jawan Johnson and Jarvis Landry gain increased relevance, albeit with the caveat that we can't confidently project the Saints to throw the football more than 25 to 28 times in this spot. How Cleveland will try to win. The Browns have been at or below league average and pass rate over expectation in all but one game this season, and have been at or near league average in each of Deshaun Watson's previous two starts. 
The Browns rank 25th in first half pace of play and 6th in second half pace of play, which makes sense considering their 6-8 and eight record. Although not yet mathematically eliminated from postseason contention, the Browns need to win out and get some help to make the playoffs this year. As such, it appears likely they take these final three games as additional reps for their new franchise quarterback in a new system. Deshaun Watson's 6.5 average intended air yards per pass attempt value would rank 30th in the league if he had enough passes to qualify, which, for comparison, is sandwiched between Baker Mayfield and Daniel Jones this season. The combination of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt has averaged 27.67 running back opportunities in Watson's three starts this season, while the offense has been near league average in total offensive snaps over that time, giving us a good baseline from which to deviate in our analysis. I would consider that the likely floor due to the expected weather and likely game environment in Cleveland, opening up the possibility that Kareem Hunt sees a slight uptick in usage considering the team has kept Chubb to 63% of the offensive snaps or fewer in every game until last week, where he hit 70%, after which it was announced that he picked up a foot injury that kept him from practicing on Tuesday. Update, Chubb missed practice again on Wednesday. The matchup yields an above-average 4.51 net-adjusted line yards metric against the Saints' defense giving up 23.4 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields, as in, no longer the defensive stalwart against the run they used to be. It appears likely the Browns will get rookie wide receiver David Bell back from one missed contest due to a toe injury, who should immediately jump back into the starting slot role for a team that has surprisingly preferred to play from 11 personnel as their base offensive alignment this season. I say that's surprising because they have lacked wide receiver depth all season, but are yoked at running back and tight end. I digress. Either way, expect a return to the norm for the Browns, likely running 11 personnel base with Donovan Peoples-Jones, Amari Cooper, and tight end David Njoku in near every down rolls, and David Bell and tight end Harrison Bryant filling in for the remaining snaps, dependent on alignment rates. It is possible we see the slight uptick in 12 personnel rates over the previous two weeks become the new normal for the Browns after they started the season utilizing that alignment as their base set, but I tentatively expect them to prioritize Bell out of the slot. While the matchup through the air is far from prohibitive against the Saints' defense running above average man coverage rates, the weather is likely to force a more ground-heavy attack from a team that theoretically should have no problem accommodating the shift in philosophy. Likeliest Game Flow Man, the expected weather really saps a lot of the fantasy upside from this game, considering we can't confidently expect volume from either pass game, and each team has more or less restricted their lead back's respective workloads, not to mention the high likelihood that each defense is able to dedicate additional assets to slowing down the opposing run games due to the weather. There's a bit of the assumption of rational coaching baked into that last bit, but we have to think the defensive coaching staffs are also keeping track of the expected weather here. We'll have to wait until closer to kickoff to dive any further into the likeliest game flow or any DFS interpretations from this one, with so much left up to how the weather actually plays out. Seahawks at Chiefs. Kickoff Saturday, December 24th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 49. Game Overview by Mike Johnson. Both teams are in the thick of the playoff hunt and fighting for seeding purposes. The Seahawks are playing on extra rest after last Thursday's loss to the 49ers, but have mounting injuries on their offense. This is the only game this week where both teams rank in the top 10 in the NFL in pass rate over expectation. The Chiefs are likely to control this game, especially if Kenneth Walker is unable to play for Seattle. How Seattle will try to win The Seahawks have dropped four of their last five games to fall from the top of the NFC West to a fight for their playoff lives. 
They will finish off the season with very winnable home games against the Jets and Rams, but this daunting matchup with the Chiefs stands in their way and threatens their playoff hopes. They will still be alive if they lose, however a surprise victory here would have them in prime position to lock up a playoff spot in what has been a surprisingly successful season after Russell Wilson's departure. The Seahawks have extra rest on their side for this critical matchup after falling to the 49ers and effectively losing any chance to win the NFC West last Thursday night at home. Seattle has turned over the keys to the car to Geno Smith, who has rewarded them with the highest completion percentage and second-highest QB rating in the NFL through 15 games. The Seahawks have opened things up as they operate at the 11th fastest pace in the league and throw the ball at the 6th highest rate. This week against Patrick Mahomes and the high-powered Chiefs offense, much of the Seahawks' approach will likely depend on the health of rookie running back Kenneth Walker. The Chiefs rank 18th against the run and 25th against the pass, but playing in Kansas City, the Seahawks would likely prefer to keep the ball out of the hands of Mahomes as much as possible and slow the game down for their overmatched defense. However, that approach is complicated by the fact that Walker is still dealing with an ankle injury that held him out of practice on Tuesday and threatens his availability. In the last game without Walker, the Seahawks turned to Travis Homer for a 90% snap share. Homer is a pass-catching specialist, and this scenario would likely force Seattle to be more focused on the short-area passing game as a way of moving the ball. Other issues are creeping in as well, with Tyler Lockett set to miss this game with a finger injury and tight end Noah Fant dealing with a knee injury. DK Metcalf will be the clear focal point of this offense if Walker is indeed out, although the Chiefs will likely know that as well and dedicate a lot of attention Metcalf's way. The Seahawks' offense will likely try to win this game by slowing things down early, but should be forced to pick up their tempo and aggressiveness due to their own offensive personnel and defensive efficiency issues. How Kansas City will try to win The Chiefs are neck and neck with the Buffalo Bills for the top seed in the AFC as the regular season approaches the end with the head-to-head tiebreaker belonging to Buffalo. The Bills have tough games with the Bengals and Patriots left on their schedule, while the Chiefs have what, in theory, should be good matchups left with the Broncos and Raiders after this week's game. This is a critical game for Kansas City, as the Seahawks provide the greatest remaining threat in the regular season, and the Bills have shown some weaknesses lately that could open the door for the Chiefs to steal home field advantage for the playoffs. The Chiefs themselves, however, have appeared vulnerable the last couple of weeks with narrow road victories over the Broncos and Texans. This week, however, the Chiefs find themselves at home, a historically difficult place to play for opponents, and with a good matchup against a struggling defense. The Seahawks bring to town the 25th-ranked defense by DVOA, a unit which has given up an average of 28.5 points per game over the last four weeks to offenses quarterbacked by the likes of Brock Purdy, Sam Darnold, John Wolford, and Derek Carr. To say Patrick Mahomes is an upgrade at quarterback from what the Seahawks have faced over the past month would be a very big understatement. On the season, Seattle is giving up 25.4 points per game, the fourth highest number in the NFL, and a number that the Chiefs have surpassed in 10 of 14 games so far this year. Seattle's defense is worse against the run than the pass, but is not by any means scary against either. The Chiefs have the league's highest pass rate over expectation, PROE, and the most efficient passing game in the NFL. A high-leverage game with a home matchup against a bottom-tier defense is not the spot where I would expect them to move away from their strength. Adding to that thesis is the fact that Jarek McKinnon appears to have taken over as their lead back, and his skill set thrives in space and the passing game. Finally, Kadarius Toney and Mecole Hardman are also back for the Chiefs, which gives them even more weapons and should allow them to be efficient and creative as they abuse an overmatched opponent. The Seahawks do play zone coverage at one of the highest rates in the league, and do their best to limit big plays through the passing game, 
Although after seeing George Kittle light up the secondary last week, the Chiefs have to have some fun things in mind for Travis Kelsey. In any regard, we should expect a pass-heavy game plan from the Chiefs, and given their close calls in the last two weeks, and the tight playoff race they are in, an unwillingness to slow down while the game is even remotely in question. Likeliest Game Flow The Chiefs' offense has struggled out of the gate in many games this season, and Seattle's zone-heavy scheme will likely make things difficult for them to score on quickly down the field early in the game, instead forcing the Chiefs to take what the defense gives them underneath and march down the field. Likewise, the Seahawks' offensive injuries are leaving them slightly undermanned and predictable, which will make scoring tough for them early on as well. Neither defense is a world-beater, however, with the Seahawks being the worst of the bunch and the Chiefs having home field. This makes it likely that the Chiefs gradually take control of the game and build a lead by halftime. Seattle's offense has been solid enough this year that even with their injuries, they should put up a fight and keep things somewhat competitive. I would expect this game to gradually pick up the pace and things to potentially really get moving in the late first half and into the second half as the Chiefs poke holes in the Seattle defense and break them down, while Seattle's efficiency and likely necessary volume will add up and eventually let them get in on the fun as well. Giants at Vikings. Kickoff Saturday, December 24th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 48. Game Overview by Hilo. Giants cornerback Adoree Jackson remained out of practice on Tuesday after missing the previous four contests. That has left Fabian Moreau and Nick McLeod to handle primary cornerback duties, each of whom have below average coverage grades this season. The Vikings center Garrett Bradbury missed practice on Tuesday with a back injury. This game environment is likely to be more muted than public perception dictates this week, with each offense preferring a conservative game plan until otherwise forced. Justin Jefferson is 342 yards away from breaking Calvin Johnson's single-season receiving record with three games remaining. How New York will try to win. We've talked about this ad nauseum this season, but the Giants are doing everything in their power to not lose games before the fourth quarter. The variance associated with that game plan worked out astonishingly well over the first half of the season, but has smacked them across the face over the past seven weeks, where New York has gone 2-4-1 after starting the season 6-1. They prefer to operate with a moderate pace and elevated rush rates, hitting the short to intermediate areas of the field through the air when they do pass. The Giants have only 21 pass plays of 20 or more yards this season, which is about a third as many as the league-leading Chiefs, and dead last this season. This has meant they have had to sustain drives in order to put points on the board, which helps to explain a 20th rank 20.5 points per game, considering a 24th rank drive success rate. What has largely allowed them to stick to this game design has been a Wink Martindale defense holding opponents to 22.3 points per game on the backs of a 50% red zone touchdown rate allowed. A staple of Wink Martindale defense has been top marks in the red zone, dating back to his tenure in Baltimore. Saquon Barkley is still eating big dog-level snaps, playing 80% or more of the offensive snaps in six of his last nine games. He holds the highest snap rate of any running back this season and third-highest opportunity share, but not without issue. His 4.6 yards per touch value ranks 34th amongst running backs, and he has the third-highest stuffed run rate of all running backs, and the Giants hold the league's seventh-worst game script rating this season. Furthermore, he has returned 4x his Week 15 salary exactly once all season, way back in Week 1. The matchup on the ground yields a sneakily putrid 4.17 net adjusted line yards metric against the Minnesota defense seeding just 3.9 yards per carry to opposing backfields this season. Matt Breida should continue in a strict change of pace role. We touched on the inability of this offense to find success attacking downfield above, but the rest is about as gnarly as well. 
Darius Slayton, the wide receiver five on the depth chart coming into this season, Richie James, the practice squad player that made the roster to begin the year as the wide receiver six, Isaiah Hodgins, the journeyman who was signed after being released by the Bills at the halfway point in the season, and rookie tight end Daniel Bellinger are the top four pass catchers on the roster. That said, those four have become the only players to see legitimate snaps, making their pass offense comparable to the Jaguars, at least from a snap rate perspective. Basically, all four of those dudes, plus Saquon Barkley, are on the field almost every offensive snap, but the pass offense has struggled with any semblance of consistency or explosiveness. The matchup with the Vikings clearly funnels expected production through the air, but we have a situation developing where we can't be completely sure the Giants will look to exploit that weakness until very late in the game and only under very specific game conditions. How Minnesota will try to win One of the marquee deciding factors in this game will likely be how Kirk Cousins and the Vikings handle the aggressive blitz of Wink Martindale's defense, as Cousins ranks better than only Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield, and Justin Fields in PFF grade when blitz this season of qualified passers. The Giants blitz at the highest rate in the league this season, by a full 5% over the second-place Packers. Yeah, not good, Bob. Shout out to JM. The primary chess match between Kevin O'Connell and Wink Martindale will likely be centered around Justin Jefferson and how the former is able to scheme him usage against the Blitz, and while Jefferson has been good against man coverage this season, he has been going absolutely batshit crazy against zone. Not to say that he won't go bonkers here, just that it will likely be the primary focus of each side of this matchup, and it will be interesting to see how each side handles the situation. From everything O'Connell has shown us this season, the Vikings will operate with pace, third highest overall pace of play, and elevated pass rates, one of just three teams with an above average pass rate over expectation in every single game played this season, along with the Chiefs and Chargers. We also know that the offense has been relatively conservative through the air unless otherwise forced, with Kirk Cousins holding the league's 18th ranked average intended air yards per pass attempt this season, and Justin Jefferson ranking 49th in average depth of target. Delvin Cook has been in an 84% snap rate or higher in five of his last seven games, averaging 20.3 running back opportunities per game over that span. He also has a touchdown in five of those seven games, failing to score in the blowout loss to the Cowboys and against a Patriots team that has allowed just four total touchdowns to running backs this season. Furthermore, the Giants have allowed 186.5 rush yards per game over the last month of play. Alexander Madison should continue serving as the strict change of pace back behind Delvin seeing no more than three rush attempts since week eight. The pure rushing matchup yields an above-average 4.565 net-adjusted line yards metric against the Giants' defense, allowing a robust 5.36 yards per carry this year, which is third-worst in the league. Justin Jefferson has run the most routes in the league, ranks 11th in targets per route run rate, and ranks 4th in team target market share. He is also 342 receiving yards away from breaking Calvin Johnson's single-season receiving yards record with three weeks remaining, which is something worth paying attention to as we near the end of the season. Furthermore, Jefferson has gone over 30 fantasy points in half of his games this year, with one more coming close. Not much left to say at this point other than the dude is the truth. Wide receiver 3 KJ Osborne came out of nowhere to see 16 targets and return GPP viability for the first time all season last week, catching 10 passes for 157 yards and a score. What is most interesting about that eruption is that nothing really changed in his snap rate or route participation rate in that game as compared to his season averages. It appeared to simply be the case of a matchup Cousins wanted to exploit against the Colts, away from Stephon Gilmore. 
The matchup through the air should be considered a positive one against the Colts defense that has faced the second deepest ADOT and has given up average yak numbers with their elevated man coverage and blitz rates. Adam Thielen and TJ Hawkinson should continue in near every down rolls, albeit with low ADOTs and a propensity to cannibalize each other's production on a standard week. Likeliest Game Flow While the Vikings have the pieces to spark a game environment's eruption, their primary focus has been to work the intermediate areas of the field and sustain drives this season. Now consider a Giants team that is about as anti-aggression during the first three quarters as they come, and we're left with the likeliest game environment that is more muted than public perception this week. As in, the Giants have just 21 explosive plays of 20-plus yards through the air and just 12 on the ground this season and are playing an opponent that is better than perception against the run, and the Vikings are unlikely to push the environment on their own considering they have the worst point differential of any 11-win team in NFL history. Expect each team to focus on sustaining drives until otherwise forced, again muting the potential game environment. As such, pieces from this game are better off played as one-offs or secondary correlated pairings. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Bengals at the Patriots. Kickoff Saturday, December 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 41.5. Game Overview by Pappy. Neither QB is likely to throw over 40 times. Joe Mixon has been a 1A since returning from injury. Ramondre Stevenson is appealing if Harris misses another week. The Patriots' defense is cheap for being a top-five pass rush at home. How Cincinnati will try to win. The 10-4 Bengals come into Week 16 red-hot. They're riding a six-game win streak, longest in the league, and are firmly in the mix for a coveted playoff bye, sitting only a game behind the Chiefs. The Bengals hold the tiebreaker, and a game behind the Bills. They play them next week. Any loss from KC, they play Seattle, Denver, and Las Vegas, plus winning out would give the Bengals top seed in the AFC. However, if the Bengals were to drop this game, they would be in danger of being caught in their division by the 9-5 Ravens. Baltimore holds the tiebreaker and finishes with Atlanta, Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati. Those scenarios mean that the Bengals can still easily get the top seed, or they can easily lose their division. The Bengals play slow, 24th total pace, but that number is somewhat misleading. They start out moderate, 14th situation neutral pace, but crank it way down in the second half, 25th in second half pace. Interestingly, they also crawl, 31st in pace when trailing, if they're losing, but that is likely to be small sample size noise. The Bengals' profile is a team that will play with a moderate pace if the game is close, but are more than happy to take their foot off the gas in the second half with a lead. Maybe the greatest comeback in NFL history will teach coaches a lesson about kicking short field goals and trying to run out the clock, but probably not. One thing that is worth noting about the Bengals' offense versus others in the league is that while the Bengals slow down considerably with a lead, they don't change their offense, becoming run-run, run-pass, punt, which is what allows teams to come back. The Bengals might slow down, but they'll keep trying to get first downs. The Patriots have been stout against the pass, third in DVOA, and tough on the ground, ninth in DVOA. Technically, they present as a mini-run funnel, but the entire unit can be considered strong, second overall DVOA. 
They also generate a fierce rush, third in the league in pressure rate, and the Bengals have the 28th ranked O-line in pass blocking grade per PFF. The Bengals tend to struggle with elite pass rushers, and this must be viewed as a matchup downgrade. They set up as well as any team can from a scheme perspective against a Bill Belichick defense since they are remarkably balanced, not relying on any one tactic or player to score points. Joe Burrow's pass attempts have ranged between 31 and 39 in 13 of his 15 games this year, finishing another game with 42 pass attempts. The lone outlier, 52 pass attempts, came all the way back in Week 1 against the Steelers, who jumped out to a big lead. Burrow has had an incredibly narrow range of passing attempts this year, and it demonstrates how balanced the Bengals' offense wants to play. How New England will try to win The 7-7 Patriots come into Week 16 off an embarrassingly pitchy-pitchy woo-woo loss to the Raiders on the last play of a tied game that put them on the outside looking in at the playoffs. After winning the AFC East an astounding 17 out of 19 years, Bill Belichick is finding it much harder to win his division recently. Since Brady's departure, the Patriots have missed the playoffs, been blown out on the road in the wildcard round, and are likely to miss the playoffs again. Missing another postseason would continue to support the idea that the Patriot way was really just having the best QB in the league for 20 years. Belichick doesn't want to be remembered as the guy who got lucky with Tom Brady, but it's looking more and more as if that was the case. The Patriots play slow. 21st in overall pace, and don't speed up to above league average in any situation. They play at their quickest if behind, 15th when trailing, and similarly if they're ahead, 17th when leading, or if it's close, 19th situation neutral pace. Their pace splits don't change much based on score or time left on the clock. The Patriots don't technically have an offensive coordinator, but the duty has mostly fallen to Matt Patricia with a pinch of Joe Judge and presumably a dash of Bill Belichick. Patricia is the guy holding play sheets over his mouth on Sunday, and his experience is almost entirely on defense, so there isn't much to go on for his tendencies other than to say that the Patriots play slightly lower than average throughout the game. The Bengals have been solid against the pass, 11th in DVOA, and below average against the run, 16th in DVOA. The Bengals' relative weakness has been on the ground, which sets up well for how the Patriots want to attack. Mac Jones hasn't thrown 40 passes in any game this year. Imagine being that conservative with your play calling, only to have Jacoby Myers decide to throw a pass on the last play. Bill Belichick might not be the best coach of all time, but he also isn't a fool. He knows that his best chance to win is riding his O-line, fifth ranked by PFF, and trusting his elite defense. By this time in the year, most teams have developed a style, and there is no reason to think the Patriots will switch from running the ball and trying to play defense for as long as the game is close. Likeliest Game Flow This game opened with a tiny total, 39.5, but was quickly bet up, 41.5, early in the week. The Bengals opened as favorites, negative 4, which has moved slightly, negative 3.5 as of this writing. A total under 42 isn't a projected shootout, but the rise in total reflects that there are chances for this game to overperform. However, the most likely game flow has both teams playing moderate to slow, with neither QB throwing 40 times. That would lead to a largely non-eventful game, where the Bengals' explosive offense is limited by the Patriots' stingy defense, and the Patriots' lackluster offense is unable to exploit the Bengals' mediocre defense.
Expect a game that stays close throughout, with the Bengals' offense being able to do just enough to win. The Texans at the Titans kick off Saturday, December 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern, with an over-under of 35.5. Game Overview by Hilo Malik Willis could draw another start for the injured Ryan Tannehill, who suffered an ankle injury in Week 15. The Titans have a whopping 18 players listed on their initial injury report this week, with no one's presence bigger than Ryan Tannehill's. Brandon Cooks returned to a limited session on Tuesday, which is a step in the right direction for him to return to action following three missed games. Nico Collins remained out of practice on Tuesday, which could spell another absence this week. Traylon Burks returned to a full practice on Tuesday after missing the previous two games with a concussion. The Texans' defense ranks third in DVOA over the previous month of play, with games against the Chiefs, Cowboys, Browns, and Dolphins. Lead back Damian Pierce remains on injured reserve, leaving a head-scratching conglomerate at running back for the Texans consisting of Rex Burkhead, Dere Ogunboale, and Royce Freeman after Enyo Benjamin was released by his second team this season. How Houston will try to win. Houston has gone full NCAA on us over the previous two weeks, utilizing two quarterbacks in a very Sean Paytonian pocket-passer-plus-gadgety-runner-thrower-tight-end hybrid breakdown between Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll. Driscoll played a massive 50% of the offensive snaps in Week 14, before seeing a 29% snap rate in Week 15, leaving it clearly evident that the Texans are trying out some funky stuff in a lost season. The Texans, as a team, attempted 26 and 27 passes over the previous two games, with most attempted by the pocket passer presence in the quarterback equation in Davis Mills. In reality, this offense is a ragtag bunch of misfits in its current state, with the team clearly building its identity around their defense. Expect the offense to utilize a high rate of personnel turnover, with no pass catcher a lock to see more than 80% of the offensive snaps. The Texans also have a game in hand on the Bears for the race for the 1.01 in the coming NFL draft, meaning we should expect them to continue experimenting with things on offense to find something that could stick moving into next year, not having to worry about accidentally winning games. Royce Freeman was called up from the practice squad for his first game of action of 2022 in Week 15 and ended up leading the backfield in rush attempts and yardage taking 11 carries for 51 yards and catching his only target for 6 yards. Dare Ogumbawale mixed in for carries for a putrid 14 yards, while Rex Burkhead was held without a carry and caught 2 of 4 targets. Stop me when you find something fantasy-relevant. Hint, there isn't. The matchup yields the lowest net-adjusted line yards metric we have seen all season, at 3.765 against one of the most pass-funneled defenses in the league. Assuming Brandon Cooks returns, I tentatively expect Cooks and Philip Dorsett to operate as the primary perimeter receivers with Chris Moore the primary slot guy. Amari Rogers is likely to still have a role, likely at the expense of both perimeter receivers, likely keeping all wide receivers confined to sub-80% snap rates. Tegan Quintoriano has emerged as the flavor of the second half of the season at tight end for the Texans, who have varied the snap rates of their tight ends all year. Expect Quintoriano, Jordan Akins, and Brevin Jordan to see snaps, with none of the lot seeing more than six targets in a game this season. 
outside of the likeliest split in snaps, I really have no clue what to expect from a Texans team that typically hovers around league average in pass rate over expectation in negative environments and falls to the extreme lows in pass rates over expectation when they are able to hang around but one that now adds additional members to the rotation at every meaningful position, including quarterback. How Tennessee will try to win There are three massive storylines for the Titans this week. 1. Ryan Tannehill could be with an ankle injury, opening the door for rookie quarterback Malik Willis to potentially see his third NFL start. 2. Derrick Henry has rushed for more than 200 yards in four consecutive contests against the Texans. And 3. The Titans have fallen from grace after a solid start to the season, currently just one game up on the surging Jaguars, with Week 18's meeting likely to decide who goes to the playoffs and who hits the links. In Arizona, of course. Malik Willis attempted a combined total of 26 pass attempts across his two starts in Week 8 and Week 9, the first of which came against this same Texans team. Consider Willis starting a solid downgrade to the overall expected efficiency of the offense. Derrick Henry saw a massive 32 carries and two targets in that spot as the clear linchpin of the offense. Things are setting up for a similar situation as the last time we saw these two teams play, with one interesting caveat. The Texans' defense ranks third overall in defensive DOA over the previous four weeks, with games against the Chiefs, Cowboys, Browns, and Dolphins. Does that mean they will all of a sudden stop Henry? No. Does that mean that this is a unit playing more cohesively of late against very difficult opponents? You betcha. Derrick Henry is one of the most face-value players in the league from a fantasy perspective. We know what we're getting with him basically every week. The stretch above average play from the Texans' defense has moved their rush DVOA from 31st to 24th, and their overall DVOA up to 21st in just four weeks, indicating just how well they've played over that time. The matchup yields a well above average 4.645 net adjusted line yards against a Texans' defense allowing 31.6 fantasy points per game to opposing backfields, the most in the league. What could be most important is the likely low volume from the Titans' offense as a whole, who ran only 58 and 51 offensive plays in Malik Willis's two starts earlier in this season. Basically, there's a lot more going on here than simply saying, Henry has hit 200 yards in four consecutive games against the Texans, and forcing him into rosters. Dontrell Hilliard hit injured reserve after Week 14 with a neck injury, leaving Hassan Haskins as the primary change of pace back with Julius Chestnut on hand for emergency duties. Traylon Burks is expected back from a two-game absence with a concussion this week, likely to rejoin Robert Woods and Nick Westbrook-Ekine as the primary pass-catching options for either Ryan Tannehill or Malik Willis. Rookie tight end Chagosia Nkonkwo has seen an increase to his modest snap rate and target numbers with Traylon Burks out of the lineup this season, opening up some level of uncertainty with his role now that Burks is due back. That said, no Tennessee pass catcher has seen double-digit targets a single time this season, with the only GPP-relevant fantasy score coming from the two-touchdown outburst from Westbrook at Kine in Week 10 at Denver. Expect the offense to utilize 12 personnel at a 50-60% to 60% rate, with those snaps split amongst Jeff Swaim, Austin Hooper, Alconquo, and Kevin Rader. Likeliest Game Flow Ryan Tannehill's game day status is likely to have a massive impact on the expectations from this game for what he means for the offensive output expectation and efficiency for the Titans. 
While Tannehill's status doesn't necessarily directly contribute to a wider range of outcomes from the likeliest game flow, which is 100% still the Titans controlling the game through both their offensive and defensive lines, it is likely to influence the level of aggression shown from the Texans, who have continually proven to run a conservative offense until found in dire straits. As in, the game environment very clearly has additional paths to fantasy relevancy with Tannehill at quarterback as compared to Willis. Based on the early week rumblings around the industry surrounding Derrick Henry, I think it's safe to call him one of the primary decision points on the slate this weekend, even before we get exposure to any ownership projections or range of outcomes tools. The Commanders at the 49ers kick off Saturday, December 24th at 4.05 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 38.0. Due to holiday time constraints, this game is not yet available on audio. Please find the write-up at OneWeekSeason.com in the NFL Edge. The Eagles at the Cowboys kick off Saturday, December 24th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 47. Due to holiday time constraints, this game is not yet available on audio. Please find the write-up at OneWeekSeason.com in the NFL Edge. (laughs) 